Hey friends, this is part three of our bonus mini-series on cosmic rays. Today we're talking about muons, special relativity, and the speed of light. We'll talk about individual particles like the charged pions and of course muons, so you might want to go back into the feed and check out some of the earlier episodes, particularly the other two on our mini-series on cosmic rays. A bit of a warning, special relativity is kind of a wild subject that took physicists many years to really grapple with, so don't worry if it seems confusing or unbelievable at first. That's totally normal. But special relativity is also really important for understanding these cosmogenic muons, so we couldn't leave it out. But anyway, sit back, relax, and get ready for the next installment of our mini-series on cosmic rays. I hope you enjoy it. Welcome to the Field Guide to Particle Physics. This is your informal guide to the subatomic ecosystem that we're all immersed in. Muons, those heavy, unstable cousins of the electron, are all around us, all the time. On average, every square centimeter of Earth sees a muon about once a minute. And while that might not seem like a lot, if you consider your own personal space, say, about a square meter around you, you know, like 10 square feet, over 160 muons pass through your personal space per second. Per second! Those muons are coming from the upper atmosphere. They are the debris left over from the constant bombardment Earth experiences from high-energy cosmic rays. If only there was a way to see them. Do you remember when I said that a particle physicist will look for particles wherever they can find them? Well, before weather balloons, before particle colliders, there were cloud chambers. Cloud chambers are boxes full of supersaturated vapor of some kind. Any little disturbance will cause that vapor to condense, as clouds do up in the sky. High-energy particles blasting through a cloud chamber will leave tracks. Little clouds form around a path of the particle, just like contrails of a jet flying through the sky. Both the muon and the positron were discovered this way. Cloud chambers are fun because you can build them for yourself at home. The main thing you need is a sustained temperature gradient and a tiny bit of like really pure isopropyl alcohol. We'll link to two great examples of DIY cloud chamber designs in the show notes. Building a cloud chamber at home is a great way to come face to face with the fact that muons, the debris from cosmic rays, are passing through us and by us all the time. The magnetic field generated by the Earth's core protects us from many incident particles from space, especially all of that plasma in the solar wind. But those high energy cosmic rays blast straight through the Earth's magnetic field. It's just not strong enough to contain them. Our upper atmosphere is our next layer of defense. Cosmic rays collide with its molecules tens of miles above the Earth, creating a shower of debris that can be itself miles across in some cases. In some sense, the atmosphere serves as a filter, converting all of those particles like protons and pions into heat and muons. Muons comprise the bulk of what we see down here at the surface. Muons are unstable particles, they decay to electrons after about 2.2 microseconds. This means that while many muons make it to the ground, not all of them do. The higher you are above sea level, the more muons you're likely to see. At 10,000 feet above sea level, the number of muons can triple. 
Given that commercial airline flights typically fly above 40,000 feet, it's important to realize that flying exposes you to more cosmogenic muons. But fortunately for you frequent flyers, the extra dose of radiation exposure is still a very small amount of radiation exposure. Indeed, the International Commission on Radiological Protection has well-established professional limits to protect even commercial flight crews from exposure to all those cosmogenic muons. Despite the atmospheric filter, those cosmogenic muons are still traveling really, really fast, like 99.9% of the speed of light fast. Muons moving that fast don't behave like you'd expect them to. For one thing, they take far longer to decay than they should. How do we know that? Well, as you might recall from the eponymous episode, muons only live for about 2.2 microseconds. That's 2.2 millionths of a second. Even traveling near the speed of light, that's simply not enough time to get from the upper atmosphere to anywhere near the surface of the Earth. Because that's a bit over 9 miles, or 15 kilometers. It takes light about 50 microseconds to travel that far. 50. Muons that make it to Earth, then, must live over 22 times as long as they normally would. Understanding why that happens, understanding what causes the muons to live so long, requires a small digression on the theory of relativity. As they say, nothing travels faster than the speed of light, which is true at least in outer space and to some extent in the air around us. You see, it's not so much that light is the fastest thing around, it's that the universe itself has a maximum possible speed, a speed limit, if you like, which is just shy of 300 million meters per second. When left to its own devices, light, or any other particle with zero mass, travels at that speed. The universal speed limit is just a fact of life, but we don't notice it much because the typical human moves about one meter per second not 300 million meters per second. But having a speed limit like the speed of light leads to some pretty strange paradoxes. For example, you cannot race a photon. Photons, you might recall, are particles of light. If you ran towards a photon, the photon would still move away from you at the speed of light. If you drove towards a photon at 100 miles an hour, the photon would still move away from you at the speed of light. If you jumped into a supersonic fighter jet and chased a photon, the photon would still move away from you at the speed of light. Even if you built and launched a rocket ship so fast that you were traveling 200 million meters per second, you know, two-thirds of the speed of light, and chased that photon down, that photon would still move away from you at the speed of light, 300 million meters per second. At least in the vacuum of space, light always moves at the speed of light, no matter how fast you're going or no matter who you are. Frustrating, isn't it? Maddening, even. But that's just how the universe enforces its speed limit. No matter how hard you try, you can never, ever catch up. But how could this be? What weirdness could explain this paradox? Well, speeds, velocities, if you like, don't really add like normal numbers do. This is Einstein's famous theory of special relativity. There's some technical details and nuances, of course, but essentially, relativity says that light always moves at the speed of light, <laughs> relative to you. And the implication is that everyone, anyone, sees light moving at the same speed, no matter how fast they're moving. The same universal speed limit, just shy of 300 million meters per second. 
The way that the universe affords this is by exchanging your perception of time for a perception of distance. You see, the faster you go, the longer the distance you have to travel. Your perception of one meter is longer than someone's who is going slower than you. And that's why it's so hard to catch up to light speed. The faster you go, the further you have to go to catch up. But of course, to account for this cheat, the universe also shortens your sense of time. So yeah, you do have to go further, but you don't really notice it because for you, time has slowed down. But the net result of all of this is that even, quote, doubling your speed, unquote, only really inches you closer to the speed of light. In a very real sense, motion trades time for space. At least that's how the mathematics of special relativity work out. In some sense, trading time for space is literally what it means to be in motion. If that's too heavy for you to take in, don't worry about it. But if it excites you, awesome. I'll link to some further reading on special relativity in the show notes. But in either case, all you need to know at this point is that those cosmogenic muons, those particles screaming in at us at over 99% of the speed of light, have traded a lot of their sense of time for space. So their internal clocks tick much, much, much slower. Well over 20 times slower, which is why they take so long to decay. In other words, the cosmogenic muons all around us near the surface of the Earth, the things that you can detect with your own cloud chamber at home, are a testament to the peculiarity of Einstein's theory of special relativity. Muons, born of debris from cosmic ray collisions in the upper atmosphere, travel at outrageous speeds to surround us here on the surface of the Earth. They travel so fast that Einstein's theory of special relativity directly manifests itself in their very existence. Of course, other particles created in those cosmic ray collisions, like pions or lambda baryons or omegas, are also moving at outrageous speeds. But since they contain quarks, they communicate via all of nature's forces. And they are much more susceptible to not only decay, but collisions with other particles, far more susceptible than the muons are. Even the humble electron, when traveling at relativistic speeds, these really fast velocities, will quickly lose much of its energy by a bremsstrahlung radiation or breaking radiation, that is to say by emitting photons to collide with other particles. And this depends inversely on its small mass. Muons being heavy don't have this problem. So this is what we mean when we say the atmosphere behaves like an energy filter, catching all that cosmic ray collision energy, except for those muons. They're fast, they're heavy, and they don't interact as frequently. But they do eventually interact with the molecules in our bodies, in the rocks, or even in the snow and ice that covers the high mountaintops and polar regions of our Earth. In our concluding episode in this mini-series, we'll explore how cosmogenic muons have helped scientists understand the history of the Earth's atmosphere and the associated implications for its climate. Thanks for listening. See you next time. This has been an installment of the Field Guide to Particle Physics, a copyrighted production of the Poseidon Institute. Thank you so much for listening. For a full, free, online copy of the Field Guide, please visit our website at pesatan.org or follow us on Instagram. We've got a lot of other resources for you there. At the Pesatan Institute, we're on a mission to build and share physics knowledge without barriers. Come learn with us. 